Welcome to the world on the hill. My name is Father Peter. And my name is Scott Powell. And we're in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, producing a podcast just for your consumption. Oh, just for you. And um, what's wonderful is that we are hill on the book on the hill. What? We are here on the here hill. on the hill. We are here on a burger. Ironically, we're in a basement on the hill, which, which is- probably puts us elevation-wise about level. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. You kind of cut the. In case you're difference. ever wondering what the hill is, mm. it's actually it's it's called um, the hill, which is uh, uh, the beginnings to the mountains of Colorado. <laughs> oh, hills are small mountains. <laughs> I see. Tell me more. <laughs> Do not mock me. Do not mock me. <laughs> no, tell me more, Magellan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, the whatever, hill. Lewis and Clark. Thanks, man. Uh, the hill is the uh, it's the neighborhood surrounding the University of Colorado, which is actually, but you're right. We're pushed up against the mountains, next Colorado, to Chautauqua Park. Next to Chautauqua Park, um, but it's the neighborhood that surrounds the university, where all the where all the cool bars and stuff, and the restaurants, <laughs> and the St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center, and things like that are. It's every place you want to be. Yep, fancy houses and fancy uh, houses and frat houses living in. in Coexistence. Well, maybe Justice not coexistence, pe- but proximity. Peace of kiss. Proximity to yeah. each other, if not coexistence. Yeah. Anyway, that's where we are. That's who we are. <laughs> Good to know you. <laughs> Good to know <laughs> you. Thanks what, for what's, coming. What's your name? I'm Scott. We already Sweet. said Sweet. Okay. Um, this is going to be the 26th Sunday in time that is ordinary, which is also the, uh, if it, it would have been the feast of St. Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Had it not fallen on a Sunday, right? Correct. Okay. I feel yep. like I'm confused by that every time you bring that up. But all just it is is just if it falls Trump's. on a Sunday. So the date, the number date, would have been that feast. Right. But because it's on a Sunday, it's not. Yeah, the, the Got it. 20, September 29th is the Feast of the Archangels. But this is... Yeah, that's the, right. It does fall in the, in the fall every and, year. And mm-hmm. the, the reason why we call them Archangels, in case you're ever wondering, wow. is because we named them. They have names. So Ark means named angels. Yeah, it, I mean, Ark doesn't, but but that's why it, it, they're distinguished. They're named and their missions are so significant. That, they res- that they're named. That they're named. So their name is what speaks to their mission. Right. Which is actually pretty consistent in the Bible because oftentimes in the Bible you'll see name changes. And a change in name in the Bible always implies a change in mission or vocation. Right. So names and mission are always sort of attached in the Catholic understanding. Right. Yeah, that's kind of cool. That's why Amos, that's why his mission is to make cookies. <laughs> that's right because he's famous he's I've, heard famous. Of, I've heard of him dude, dude I was I forgot I, about it. I, you predicted last week that because I pointed that out that you would never do it again <laughs> and you have within a week's time disproved yourself I couldn't resist I, I know you can't the, resist the reason it's why is, is I was in a convenience store and I saw some famous Amos cookies and I literally almost bought them and I, I, I was in Costco and I was like famous Amos cookies and Costco I, is famous Amos yeah and I looked and I was like well the, I mean he is famous right that's true <laughs> so I mean, why not make it to Costco? So our first reading is Amos 6, 1a, jumping to 4 through 7. It's a big jump. Um, the jump actually really just has to do with specifics of geography. Right. So in, in case you're wondering. Uh, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 146, verse 7, then 8 through 9, and then 9 through 10, and the response itself from 1b. Second reading is from 1 Timothy 6 through 11 through 16. Chapter 6, 11 through 16. There it is. Okay, got there. And our gospel, of course, is coming from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. The very well-known story of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus. 
<laughs> Movement of, of Jabil. Jabil. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same cadence. Dude. <laughs> weird. Very weird. I All th- right, Amos. Did we say what gospel we have? Yeah, I did. Okay, You good. didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's why I, you didn't notice. I, I've had it. a hard couple of days. Yeah, that's all, all right. I'm saying. We're, we're, is that we'll like, be merciful to you. We love. No, you. no, no, just call out. Just call it out because it's funnier. Oh, you because I trust you. <laughs> no, I called you Magellan. That was funny. You did call I've, me Magellan. Can, I've always wanted to, to insult someone by calling them Magellan. <laughs> it's a weird desire I've always had, and I've never gotten the chance to do it. So Dude, thank you. It like it like pierced something inside of me, <laughs> and it was so funny. It's like whoa, Magellan. <laughs> Uh, all right so amos you told me that you'd done a lot of a lot of study on amos yeah did did you have you turned to the hebrew in this because because last week i was like read it i read it exclusively (laughs) shut up (laughs) no i have not turned to the hebrew of amos so you don't mean the septuagint you went back to straight up hebrew yeah because um one of the things about Amos I was talking about last week is that he has simple language. That Which is, makes sense because he was from the country, sent to the elite of society to basically call them out. So that makes sense. Right. So I went to the Hebrew he reminds, just, to, I'm sorry. To, just to like look at he it. I'm sorry. I was just going to say really quickly that he reminds me of Peter in that way. Right. He's a bit of a, a prefigurement of Peter who was sort of, you know. He's a little bit of a blowhard. He was a simple... <laughs> That's not what I was going to say. Peter or, no, or Amos? Amos. Amos. Amos is, but he's Peter. I was just job. implying that he's a bit of a simple. He's a simple fisherman. Right. Can't even keep a job as a fisherman. Um, and but he is the one who God chooses to send to the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders in Jerusalem to basically try to correct them. It's kind of like me being called to the premier um, research university in Colorado. This is the. This, I mean, I know that I'm it's not self- going to let you go it's, there, it's, Father it's Peter. Don't make me build you up. Magellan. <laughs> Don't make me build you up, Magellan. I think that's our next I think that's our next t-shirt for the lanky guys. Oh, that's a great t-shirt. <laughs> okay. But so so I'm looking. So reading the Hebrew, it's actually really straightforward. It's actually really kind of cool. But the the okay. weird part so about in it chapter is, six. It's slightly poetic. Well, it so, should be. I mean Right, right. There, there's a poetry and there there's kind of like these gap between words. And as I was looking at this one, um <clears throat> It's just, it's calling people out for living in a luxurious way. But I had this core idea that I was looking at with Amos today. Okay. Can we just say really quickly before you go on, just because this is my brain will break otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Amos was going to the northern kingdom of Israel. Northern ten tribes. The northern ten tribes who had established their own kingdom years before. And they're experiencing probably their greatest time of prosperity about a hundred or so years before they are obliterated by the Assyrian army. So that's the, that's our context. We're not in Jerusalem. We're not talking to Davidic kings. We're talking about a northern kingdom who established their own liturgy, their own worship, worshiping different gods, is very, very far from their heritage of the original Israel, and they're experiencing great, great prosperity. That That's our context. So, sorry. And and the one now one go. one more context within the book of Amos yeah. is that is that there are very few references to saying repent. Um, hmm. It's basically oh yeah right. He's just basically saying you're about to get jacked, and because most is, of the prophets are if then if right. you don't repent, then this thing's going to happen. He's just then. There's two moments in the whole book that he's like, yeah, you could try to do this, and it might lessen it a little bit, but you're done. But you're going to be punished. You're done. Well, yeah, which makes, I mean, again, you can read the Old Testament as the, uh, this, you know, this is where God is really angry and mean all the time. 
Or you can just see it on a very simple human level of God can't let evil go on forever. Right. And there does have to be punishment sometimes. And that's, that is what it is. And they've brought it on themselves. But it's not an if then, it's just then. So the core thing, um, Father Colin Parrish, uh, he texted me and he was like, you got to talk to me about what does it mean that David's accompaniment. And so he actually, he actually kind of, it says that, uh, like, oh, da- oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. improvising the- to the music of the harp, like David, they devised their own accompaniment. And it was really an interesting thing. Cause I've was, actually been wondering about that myself and I wanted to ask you what, your thoughts on it. Yeah. Well, cause <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot about as soon as you ask the question about what's music's role in society, you have to, you start thinking about, um, is it Ptolemy? Um, the, uh, or is, who's the one that, who's, there's a Greek philosopher who, uh, was all about like musical, Notes is religious worship, whatever. Okay, I think it's Ptolemy. It's not Ptolemy. It's I I vaguely you you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. there and he also did a lot of math too. I can't remember. Ptolemy did a lot of math. No, he's he's an ancient Greek. um, Euripides. Yeah, Euphrates, <laughs> Magellan, Epicure, <laughs> Magellan. Right. So I can't remember who it is right now. But but I, I went I went all the way back there and I was thinking about how like how powerful music is within society. Because why would it be significant that they're, they're devising their own accompaniment like David did? And is and, that what what the Hebrew says? Because I know there's some different translations that word this this couple of lines differently. Well, this is the thing is is as I was reading a commentary specifically on the Book of Amos, they yeah. said that <laughs> it doesn't literally make sense. Like, <laughs> like like you can't translate the line because it, it, there's something about it that doesn't huh. grammatically okay. work. So right. a lot of translators actually just kind of start to play with it and and, and, and try and to make it make sense. Try to make yeah, it make right. sense. So what we're going to read in the liturgy is improvising to the music of the harp like David, they devise their own accompaniment. And so, can I give an alternative to that? So yes. the NIV, which is one of the big, most important Protestant Bibles, actually says you strum away on your harps like David and you improvise on musical instruments. The RSV says you make your own musical instruments. Yes, right. It's it's very weird how uh, that that that. Thank you. That's actually helping me make sense of why these translations are so different from each other. Yeah, yeah. Just literally, the line doesn't make sense. But at the core, if you take all of these translations, what you end up kind of putting together and discovering is that um, is that at the core of it, it's writing new music. Okay. That makes so much sense to me, especially when they bring David into it. Because what did David do? He actually started to, uh, like, he contributed significantly to the Psalter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, that was dismissive. Yes, no, but 100%. Well, I, this, well that's partly it's framed two, as a question. I'm two big pieces of this. Okay. So there's that. There's what you're saying. I mean, there, there's what David did, and there's also who David is. So who right. is David? He is the king. The true king of Israel. Right. They have established their own kingdom, a sort of pseudo-parallel kingdom. So in other words, they're trying to be like their own David, but they are not David. And, and That's their improvisation. But right? this is You're the thing improvising is, a kingdom. Right. But, but at, when it comes to the core of mm. what is music's function within society? To jam? Yeah. I, I w- to bump. I remember when I was a, when I was young. Um, <laughs> trying so hard over here. <laughs> trying so hard over to here. To bump. <laughs> I said bump. I know. I don't say things. You like don't that. say that. That's, That's why I just so dismissed it. Of me. Um, <laughs> is I remember when I was young, I was watching some HBO special or something, okay. and and it was like this this lead singer of a skinhead band. 
that's not where I thought you were going. I know, okay. I know. And, and, and I remember I was like watching shocked and I was like, this is, and, um, and he was like, yeah, I used to give speeches and he like, I go to these rallies and these speeches were great, but his like, own. yeah, his yeah. own. And he, and, and, and everybody'd be riled up for like a little bit, but then one day later, later they'd lose all their motivation and they wouldn't keep it. He said, but then I remember I was talking to some kid and he was, he was singing the lyrics to a song and he's, and he, and he's like, and it dawned on me. He's like, dude, I can put my message to the sound of music and these kids will listen to it 15, 20 times a day if they you like the song. You don't mean like Julie Anderson, or Julie Andrews. You mean like <laughs> the just- The hill is alive with I, the sound of improv. I honestly thought. At first, when you said it, that's what he was saying. If I put my words to the tune of the Sound of Music soundtrack, <laughs> then people will listen. But that's not, you're just using no, the no, turn no, of no. phrase. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was just, just to clarify, using the, the, the sounds of music. That's where I was imagining. So he's like, okay. he's like, what happens is that I can get these kids to memorize my message if I if I become the lead singer of this band, yeah, because and, yeah. and and then I can promote my racist crap all yeah, over the yeah, world, yeah. and and I and I would and I I just mm. was so struck by that. So I look at Amos, and he's like, oh, what are they doing? Is that they're actually taking their message, they're putting into music, so that the people will memorize, that they will know, and that they will actually have their improvisations as an alternative yes, because you to can the psalter, because you can simultaneously erase. Right. Old memories by replacing them with these new memories. That's right. Fascinating. See, our children so, are the yeah. future. Just teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty that you possess inside, man. <laughs> this is what I'm Give s- them a sense of. <laughs> Give them a sense of. Pride? Pride. It doesn't matter. Well, no, it does matter. But, <laughs> but, but this yes. is the thing is, I always come back to that song because I'm like, I'm like, just like teach the children well and then let them lead the way. It's like, no, teach the children well and then show them how and to actually. show them the way. And show them the way. That's and not, don't let them lead the way as if, as if like I'm going to be like, oh, here's, here's some uh, scissors. Run with them, Jimmy. I don't know, man. I mean, I got to push back a little on Whatever. That. Because it's saying teach them well. In other words, instruct them and then, so that And then leave them can... alone. No, it doesn't say leave them alone, I though. hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's everything that is wrong in the world today. This is such a weird turn. literally breaks down oh to gosh, that moment of pop culture for me, man. Here we go, Magellan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, oh okay. so... Therefore, well, they're going to be the first to go, man, because they just created a whole alternative reality yes, with right. a whole alternative culture, with all this alternative worship, replacing what was there with their own devised schemes. And their new reality, their parallel kingdom slash liturgical reality empire, whatever right. it is, is um, their, their, it, it is founded on two principles. Okay. I, 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 that may be a stretch. Like a high school principal and an elementary school principal? Correct, right. No, mm-hmm. but but uh, there's two things that Amos calls out, basically, that they have found their security in. So their kingdom, what's going to be attacked, because that's where they found their security, is number one, idolatry, okay. which is what's a cha- attacked through chapter five. You have created idols and false gods around this. And number two, materialism, their own comforts. Idolatry. So in their in their parallel kingdom, their little parallel liturgical universe, <laughs> the two things that there are foundational for them are idolatry and materialism, 
And both of those are both the the reason and then the response to why they think that they are which, fine. Which the materialism is ivory couches and, and, the, and, and, the, yes. and the wine bowls and then the, and the idolatry is, is the, are these new songs that are messed up. Oh, yeah. I mean, Amos is very is more explicit in chapter five about the gods that they're worshiping, like Baal, which are wrong. Right. But also, but you're right. There is a, a deeper, like more subtle level because, I, you know, I mean, the way that Satan kind of wants to, to attack people is not by making people Satanists. It's by trying to subtly undermine what is true right. with something that seems very attractive and appealing, right? Yes. Which is exactly what you're saying. So, um, yeah, the, the, these are a series of woes. Woe to the complacent. You're lying on your beds of ivory. You're stretched comfortably on your couches. You're eating lambs from the flock, calves from the stall, music, this, this pseudo-music, the pseudo-liturgy, a different history, drinking wine from bowls, which sounds cumbersome to me. Just drinking your wine out of a giant bowl. <laughs> I, may, I imagine those like bars in like spring break cities that have like the huge margarita, margarita glasses, glasses that yeah. are like humorously big. That's what I'm picturing when I see <laughs> the kingdom of northern Israel. Uh, they anoint themselves with the best oils. They're not made ill. They're not made ill by the collapse of Joseph. There's other parts of the empire that are falling and that are falling physically and falling to idolatry. And you don't care. You don't care that the rest of your brethren are actually suffering. And that's actually, that's the point in this that well, it's not the only one, but it's one of the major connecting points to the mm. gospel. Both the comfort, the, the extravagance and the comfort that they're shrouding themselves in as a pseudo-reality, as a parallel universe that they've created for themselves, where they ignore and disregard everything else that's happening around them and don't care about the suffering and the plight of their brothers. Mm. Which I think that's a good setup to, to go to, to like keep moving. Yeah. All right, so our psalm... 146, blessed is he who keeps faith forever. See, th- I mean, immediately we're accusing the 10 northern tribes in this How so? in this song. Oh, because they haven't kept faith. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And they secure justice for the oppressed. It's like you're not paying attention to Joseph. You give food to the hungry and the Lord subs captives free. Yeah. But he, but he, but they're doing it in the, the, like the response is in a positive capacity. It's a juxtaposition. Right. Right. This is what, but here's what praising the Lord is. And here's what praising the Lord is not. Right. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah th- this is not praising the Lord when you just kind of set up the alternative reality. Why? Because the Lord, well, he gives sight to the blind. He raises right. up those who are bowed down. He loves the just. He protects the strangers, the outsiders, right? Which is the fatherless, the widow, right. the wicked. He thwarts. The Lord reigns forever. Yeah. But it's saying this is what you were not doing. Right. And, and really, I mean, all of us should feel, I think, some level of accusation by this psalm of the ways in which we consistently fall. I see it and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm helping God in raising up those who are bowed down. I don't know if I'm that concerned about protecting the stranger, feeding the hungry. I mean, how often do I turn a blind eye right. to the people who are hungry and suffering around me? Right. Because it's uncomfortable. Or maybe it's just we're so saturated. So, I mean, there's so many people on the side of the road at so many intersections where we live, it's just easy to kind of get blind and, and sort of inoculated to it, right? right? You just stop seeing it. Right. Which, I, I don't know, that, that the psalm is, is set to accuse us in a certain way. Not to say, hey, look, all the things you're doing are bad. No, it doesn't say that. It says, look at what the Lord's doing. Are you like the Lord? Right. And that's where, the, for, you know, for Amos, I mean, this is a direct opposition to Amos, but I think it's also subtly meant to speak to all of us. 
At least that's how it, what it does to me. The content of the book of Amos, not Amos himself, because he's a no, prophet of the Amos Lord. Amos is cool. So then we go into the Timothy, which Timothy. again, again promotes this. Well, it's just kind of showing some of the, the like polemics. This is actually one of the difficult things. Is as we go through the liturgical calendar, um, the further we get along towards the thirty third week in, in ordinary time, we we the the What's temperature thirty third week. The 33rd week in ordinary time? Don't say it like that. <laughs> you don't know what the 33rd week of ordinary time No, I don't. What is it? Christ the King. Don't say it like that. I've heard of Christ the King, but I don't know what's the 33rd week. Yeah, Stop looking at me like come that. Come on, dude. Everybody We've been else doing is this staring for years, at... Magellan. <laughs> Whatever, Tertullian. <laughs> Jeez, man. Whatever, Tycho. You can just say the Christ. Oh, Tycho. That would have been a good one when you were talking yeah. about all your science before. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm all what like laughing. I'm I'm laughing laughing with a wheeze. I'm laughing yeah, really with a wheeze, which is really funny to me because I'm like uh, an 80 year old man that's been smoking <laughs> cigarettes his whole life. <laughs> uh, dude, oh, I'm yeah, sorry yeah, for 80 yeah. year old men who've been smoking cigarettes sorry, their whole I life. Should, well, I'm the one who we should be called them out. Yeah, we should just not be triggering. Sometimes they live the longest and happiest lives. Dude, just ask George Burns. I don't think we can. I think he's dead. <laughs> I'm just saying. Don't make me laugh at that. I, I, you're you're like Quentin Tarantino, making me laugh at things oh I shouldn't. Gosh, it's a fact. Uh, gospel. Okay. No, we're still in second, Timothy, second reading. <laughs> Timothy. So what's happening is that we're setting out the polemics. So because what happens is that the readings are going to become increasingly more polemical as we go oh, towards as the liturg- Jesus, that's where we Jesus Christ, the as King. As the liturgical year goes on. As as and because Jesus is actually going towards his kingship, then we have to make a decision between the things of the world and the things of the kingdom of the Basileia Tutheo, the kingdom of God. Pretend I haven't been doing a podcast on these things for seven years. Okay. And pretend I don't know the numerics of the liturgical year. How close is Christ the King to Advent? It is right directly before. Okay. That's what so, I thought. Yeah. So it happens is 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 it's almost like um Christ the King is the crescendo. Yeah. And then I'm just trying to put it into to like it's a, it's the understandable. Cres- it's the crescendo of his ministerial life. Is this where is this where the readings all start talking about the end? Is that an advent? Yes. Yeah. And, right. And so, so what happens though is that is 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 we're we're like leading towards the earthly ministry, and then it crescendos in his in in Jesus Christ the King. Then we go into kind of the the uh, the apocalypse at the beginning, the eschatological the, fulfillment, right? Yeah. In the, the first two weeks of Advent, and then we go into Jesus Christ the King. And yeah. Okay. Is 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 almost like the answer in the midst of all of it. It's like yes. the end and the beginning all mixed together. Ooh, I like that. Because the end of the Ooh, I like that. Christ the King is the end of the liturgical year. The beginning right. of the liturgical year is, is the first Sunday of Advent. Right. It's New Year's for us. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Which I know, I just didn't know it was the thirty third Sunday of ordinary time. That's okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um but so okay, what were you just saying about Second Timothy? Though? Second Timothy. First Timothy. First Timothy. <laughs> Which by the way, again, <laughs> second backdrop reading. context. Second reading, same as the first. A little bit louder, but uh A little it, bit worse. It's a letter from Paul, the apostle, to Timothy, who is now becoming the new pastor or the new bishop of the church in Ephesus. And the whole letter is instructions on how to be a good leader and how to be a good bishop. Right. Sorry. So now finish. I just, again, wanted to give that. Okay. So he's saying, live in righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Which I want to argue in just a few minutes that that's the description of Lazarus. What? Which it doesn't seem like it is because it doesn't seem like Lazarus does much, but I'm going to argue that he does. Okay, so okay, it so. says, keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, 
Oh my yeah. gosh. It is a description. Lazarus embodies what the second reading is actually, which... Dude, let's just jump in okay. there. Let's That's just what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. I just but, wanted to set the stage that there's a polemic there. But I want to say, the reason I, I want to dwell on it just oh. briefly... Oh, oh hold on. Hold on. It. I have one more point to yeah, make. Yeah, please. Okay. And it says this, I charge you before God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who... Oh, yeah. Hold on. Sorry, sorry. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made the noble confession in the presence of many witnesses. Okay, so he's in Ephesus. We we know Timothy. that Timothy yeah. Ephesus is 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 um, uh, really intense. Yeah, because on one hand you have all the witchcraft and everything's going on. It is the center of of what we would call anachronistically the New Age cult of the ancient world. Right. So he That's Ephesus. so he was made bishop before all these witnesses. Yes. Okay. Now he now Paul makes By a direct Paul, Paul ordains him. Right. Presumably. And he and he makes a direct comparison. Mm. I charge you before God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who gave his testimony mm. under Pontius Pilate for the noble confession. Oh interesting. He's saying you're about to be cruciform. Remember how remember how Jesus yeah. gave testimony and then they killed him? Guess you're what? like that. You're like that. So, so <laughs> good you, luck. So live Timothy. with righteousness, devotion, faith, love, wow. and patience and gentleness. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So, well, that's good. So, so that's really where I'm getting when I say that polemic is like yes, you I have to live saying, in a very in, in the same way that Jesus does in the face of really dire circumstances. I see what you're saying now. I didn't. I didn't totally see. Uh, let's take that even a step further, though, because what Paul is in. I mean, so I. I I suggested that Lazarus is the embodiment of this. Timothy is too, obviously. I mean, this is instructions to an individual to be a good leader. But the leadership, again, is pursuing righteousness, having patience, gentleness, faith, love, um, uh, giving testimony. What does it say? Where did I? uh, Noble confession, I charge you, blah, blah, blah. Not blah, 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 but you know. Oh, uh, to keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearance of a Lord. This consistency, patience, gentleness, all these things. You were reading this in the context of someone, uh, uh, Timothy is young. He's a young, strong, powerful leader. Like right? me. Like you. <laughs> I'm just but, kidding. But an able-bodied, strong, articulate leader. I mean, we know some things about Timothy. Right. But I'm going to argue that it also is a descriptor of someone who doesn't say a word, who is immobile, not able-bodied impoverished, utterly beaten down Lazarus is also embodying these leadership traits. Right. Because you can actually be a Christian leader while being someone like Lazarus. Hmm. Which is interesting. Because you read this, which you're is, like, oh, which... yeah, strong leader. Like, do all these things. Like, I'm going to keep the faith. I'm going to be righteous. Blah, blah, blah. But no, this guy who actually says nothing and is literally carried around by his friends, impoverished, not able to move his limbs, is having the same leadership principles as Timothy. Which is really wild because talk about a new song. Like, sing a new song unto the Lord, singing Alleluia. Nice job, Beethoven. <laughs> Sorry. Botticelli is what I meant to say, but it came out Beethoven. Whatever, Salieri. Ooh. Ooh. I don't even know who that is, but well done. <laughs> It'll hurt when you realize it. <laughs> All right. You're the one singing. Yeah. Oh, no, I sang. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. What now? Okay. So, um, oh, man, I'm thrown off. Sorry. I missed it. I it's lost the I point. made fun of you. Yeah. How does it feel to be making an important point and be thrown off by someone <laughs> mocking you? <laughs> I'm sorry. It hurts a lot. I won't do it again. I'm okay. Sorry. Okay, Dad. Sorry. No, I'm not your dad. <laughs> I'm not no. your dad, Father. 
How weird is that? Yeah, I know. I was going to say the same thing. I'm sorry. Um, leadership. Oh, leadership. Uh, here we are in the in the midst of it is the new song. Like, <laughs> Oh, the new song. Songs, Amos, oh, right. music, lyrics, David. Right. Oh. What we're learning in the center of this Lazarus experience huh? is that it, is that we're actually seeing the continuation of the song. We're almost like, it's almost like we, we've entered into this new era and this new moment that resounds with the songs of David, with the Psalter, with the, the prayers that Jesus prayed every day, that he would go and he would praise him in this revealed way versus a rewriting of the song, a, a, a perversion, a, a twisting of what it is. Because yeah. here the lowly are ended up, end up lifted up. I mean, it's it's the Magnificat's reverse. Yes, it's the, right, it's right. what we read about in the Psalms of the lowly being lifted up. fulfillment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah, so, right. so we're seeing this, this thing. I, I mean, everything's yeah. kind of centered in this idea of a song. And we have these new canticles and... And like and and worship and praise of God with the depths of the soul. I I, I don't know. I mean, that's the the beginning. Um, and I, there's not really an insight. It's just a feeling. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I think that's beautiful. I love the connection though, back with the song. So you did. You've been lit up. You've been lit up by. Yeah, I hope I can like reproduce this. it. Yeah, I don't. You hate that when you were yep. like get so excited and then yep. the. So well, much stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've been spending some time with my my theological companion, Kenneth well, Bailey. Well, you got eighteen minutes to do it. I know it. that. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna do it in less. Okay. Um, Kenneth Bailey, though, who I talk about sometimes, uh, one of my favorite biblical scholars. He's not a Catholic, but he's his whole project was living among the peoples of the Middle East to try to understand the cultural realities and nuances and all these things in the Gospels that we kind of miss because yeah. we don't know the culture. And he helped you too. He helps me tremendously. No, you too, like the band. He did. Yeah, did. No, he? you're thinking of uh, of uh, the message guy. Yeah, that's never not mind. The same guy. Okay, different guy, man. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, here's what it's not. Okay. So we some of us have heard this story before. I mean, we've all probably heard it. Maybe not all, but it's the story. So Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who have been kind of out to get him. Like they're they're attacking him, and he talks about this rich man um, who had all of this wealth. Actually, let's let's just take it. So Jesus said to the Pharisees, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple garments and fine linen. And actually, I'm I'm bummed. Actually, it doesn't have it's the NAB, which is fine. But there's a nuance in the in the interpret in the translation of this of this line. It actually says he dressed in purple garments every day in the original Greek, which is significant because right. it suggests that he has other clothes, but every single day he decided to wear the purple ones because those were the ones that showed everybody how wealthy he was, yeah. right? And it actually says, oh, <laughs> this was a, a subtle piece, but I just have to point it out because I think it's really funny. And I, I think Luke is actually putting it in as a joke. It's not a joke, but I think he's trying to make you laugh. Um, purple garments, so he has all this really nice clothes. But the word for fine linen, the Greek word is busos, which comes from the Hebrew word boots, B-U-T-Z, which actually refers to, you ready for this? You're going to love this. Maybe you won't, but I just loved it. The busos refers to quality Egyptian cotton, which was used for really high quality underwear. <laughs> That's literally what this means. So what Luke is saying is there was this guy who dressed in purple garment, like the best garments every day. And for those who are interested, he also had the nicest underwear. <laughs> That's literally what it says, which made me crack up because Luke knows that that's what busos means. Right. And he's like, just so you know, anybody who's interested, I don't know. It, it's not that funny. Isn't there a song about the me. Egyptian cotton? 
Maybe. I don't yeah. know it. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know it either. So. But I just thought it was fun. Yeah, that, yeah. That Luke is totally pointing that out. So he's got all this stuff. Even his underwear is like the best of all the underwear, which is which is just funny. And he dined sumptuously every day. So he chooses to wear the most expensive clothes every day, the nicest underwear, and he dined sumptuously every day. And I was actually, I, I'm, I'm, it's such a, it's so small, seemingly small, but when it says he dines sumptuously every day, this is a rich man who is served his food by servants. And if he is dining sumptuously every single day, uh, how do I ask this the right way? I, I'm not, I can't think of a good enough question to ask, but it means that he's also dining sumptuously on the Sabbath, which means he's actually not honoring the Sabbath, which means he's breaking the law and making his servants work for him on the Sabbath day. Mm. And Luke makes a point, and it was, it's one of those little subtleties of culture that we might not catch, right? because it sounds like just he's saying what he's saying. But if, you, if you're in the culture, you're like, every day, even the Sabbath day, like that's the day that you're not supposed to do work. You're supposed to have leftovers or have simple meals, but he doesn't have simple meals on the Sabbath. He has feasts on the Sabbath, which means he's not respecting, he's not respecting the law. And the reason I guess I I point out all these things is that, again, I started to say what this story is not is a story about, um, and again, this is how it's sort of oversimplified sometimes is taken as if you have really nice things in this world, you're going to suffer in the next world. And if you have nothing in this world, you're going to be rewarded in the next world. It's not that clean. It's not that simple. It's not saying, right. oh, rich people are all hosed and poor people are all going to be blessed. You right. know what I mean? Which is yeah. easy to read it and be like, oh, this is this sort of the simple worldview that's put out. That's not what this story means. Because simply to have wealth does not damn anyone, right? right? And I don't mean that in the like the cussing sense. I mean in, in the theological sense. Right. Having wealth does not uh, mandate condemn that we go, doesn't condemn us to hell, which is how it's easy to read the story this way. And it's easy to read a story, you know, again, in a, in a culture where you have a lot of people who suffer and in peasantry who say, man, everything is really hard, but in the next life you're going to be rewarded because you didn't have anything here. Right. It's not just about if you didn't have anything, you're going to have something. If you had something, you're not going to have it. Right. It's about how we live and how we actually act in this world has ramifications for the next. It does have to do with wealth and poverty, right. but not simply that. So this rich man, it's not just that he's rich. It's not just that he dines every day sumptuously. It's not just that he has great underwear and purple garments. It's that he's already been shown to be someone who does not respect the Ten Commandments. Mm. He does not follow the law, which means he probably doesn't have that much uh, uh, respect for what God has asked of him. He's kind of like the people in Amos's time. And that's why this is such a, a clear, maybe he's actually created his own pseudo-spirituality that has somehow allowed him of, to dispense himself of the Old Testament law. He's dispensed of the Ten Commandments because he's kind of better than it. So I can have feasts every day because I don't need to follow those things. So here he is, he's doing his thing. He's making sure everybody knows just how wealthy and powerful and good-looking and everything else he is, right? Right. And then juxtaposed with lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, who's covered with sores, who would have gladly eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the man's table. Okay, so a couple things about this first, again, just as far as preface. Um, We've been talking the last couple of weeks about a couple of uh, parables that fall hot on the heels of each other. And this is the third part of a trilogy. Right. And it's almost never seen as the third part of a trilogy, but it is. So you remember what parable we talked about three weeks ago? Prodigal son. Prodigal son, and then we go into the uh, uh, unjust steward. Yeah, the dishonest steward, and now we have this guy. And if you kind of put them all together, 
what you actually have, and this is kind of cool, you have three stories, right? One of a prodigal son, a, a son who wastes his father's possessions. Two, the story of a dishonored steward who wastes his master's possessions. And then third, a rich man who wastes his own possessions. A son who wastes his father's stuff, a steward who wastes his master's stuff, and then a rich guy who wastes his own stuff. Mm. Which is interesting to kind of see yeah. it that way. And then you're like, oh, maybe these are all actually speaking to each what? other. Which is kind of crazy, right? Yeah, I never even asked that question. It's interesting. So you have these two, right? So you have this guy who was all this stuff, and at his door, I mean, and I, I mentioned before, you know, I was thinking about this, I was reflecting on the, um, I was reading Ken, Kenneth Bailey, who, you know, spent all these years in the Middle East, a lot of time in, in places like Beirut and very big cities, and he talked about, you know, what, what I think is real, this idea of a fatigue that comes with so many people asking for things so many people who are homeless or poor you know even the even the we live in one of the wealthiest towns in in the united states in boulder right but still it's easy to f get fatigued by all the people on the side of the road with all of the cardboard signs asking for things and it's just you get so fatigued sometimes because you see the same people over and over every street corner you, we start to get blind to them right which you could make a case that maybe this rich man is just, there's so many beggars, there's so much poverty in the world, maybe he's just gotten blind to Lazarus. But I'm going to argue that he absolutely did not. And that is very different than that. So at his door was a, a poor man named Lazarus. And actually grammatically in Greek, so our translation says lying at his door, but in the Greek it's in the passive tense, which means having been laid at his door, which means Lazarus is in such a state that he actually can't move. And someone, friends or family or whatever it was, has each and every day brought him and laid him at the doorway of this rich man's house, hoping against hope that maybe he will receive something. Lazarus doesn't do it on his own. He can't. He is not able-bodied enough to actually do it. So he has been laid mercifully by someone at the door every day. And they probably come at the end of the day to collect him. And this was actually pretty common in the Middle East to do this to people out of hope, you know, maybe this guy will notice. So it says he would have gladly eaten the fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Um, this is a guy who has feasts literally every day. There's probably servants that are well fed. And traditionally speaking, what would happen with leftovers in a wealthy homo, you know, landowner's estate is that all the leftovers would traditionally go to the dogs. They don't have refrigerators. They don't have refrigerators, right? So you can't store the leftovers. So, but if it's a wealthy landowner, he'd probably have dogs, which were there to guard the property. And every rich landowner in the ancient in the Middle East would have animals, and you would feed the animals by the leftovers from the meals. Right. Which is interesting. And the reason I point that out is because that theme of getting the scraps that go to the dogs actually shows up a number of times in the gospel. Well, the, the Syrophoenician the, woman. Well, the, the prodigal would have eaten of the husks. And it's the same word that's used. And I was going to point that out. It's the exact same word. Right. He desired to eat the leftovers that went to the dogs. The prodigal desired to eat the leftovers that went to the pigs. They both actually have the same response to this thing that they cannot have, that they are not given, mm. that they're longing for, right? And then there's the juxtaposition. And again, the word that's used. So some translations seem to imply, okay, he's, he's terrible. He's poor. He wanted the scraps, presumably that have gone to the dogs. And then it almost sounds like, and on top of all of that, <laughs> the dogs came and licked his sores. But that's not what it says in the Greek. The Greek actually gives a juxtaposition and says something in English like the equivalent of, but 
the dogs came and licked his sores. Not the dogs on top of it all came and licked his sores. It's actually what the reason I point this out is what the text is showing is the only ones who are actually merciful to this poor suffering man are the dogs. It's mm-hmm. not that it's adding on to his troubles and his right. woes. It's that I mean, it, it, it's been medically proven. Did you know this? That saliva from saliva from dogs can help wounds actually heal faster. Oh, it's actually medicinal. There's a medicinal quality to the saliva. I'll of tell dogs. Simon. Well, that's why dogs lick their own wounds because the medicinal quality of their saliva actually helps heal things. So what the text is actually saying is nobody cares for this guy. This rich people, they're, pat- they're literally walking over him. He longs for the food. But the dogs, the creatures that God made actually are ministering to him, which some translators have said, actually, he's a prefigurement of the desert fathers, of people like St. Francis of Assisi, right, who is so in tune in, in his relationship with God, who is so understanding of his identity that even the rest of creation actually cares for him, mm. which is, is really beautiful. So yeah. anyway, the story goes on. So this, this is, it, it's showing a bit about who he is. His holiness is responded to by creation. He's not just some guy who's passively just accepting the fate of the world. He has an integrity to him, and creation is responding to it. So the poor man dies, says he was carried away by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. The bosom of Abraham is specific to a seat at a table, and it's the same seat that John, the beloved apostle, actually holds at the Last Supper. Oh. So the seat of of um, um, dignity, this, this prime seat at the bosom of the master. That's where he's sitting. And you're meant to be reminded of Jesus with John in the Last Supper. That's where he's actually sitting. Uh, The rich man also died, and he was buried. And from the netherworld where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off. And he saw Lazarus at his side, and he cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Now, here's where I think it gets really interesting. Yeah. This rich man sees, he should see in the afterlife what he has done and been like, oh, no, that poor guy is actually sitting at the table at the seat of honor with Abraham. He is the honored guest at the table of heaven. And here I am languishing in this horrible place. But what does he do? He actually pulls his 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 rich guy card. Right. And says, hey, rich guy to rich guy, Abraham, you know, I'd say like, hey, you know what's going on. It's even worse than that. What does he ask Abraham to do? Send him as a servant. Send that guy as a servant to take care of me. He's like, oh, he can finally move. I guess uh, you can send him. Right. But it shows you like this isn't just rich people get what they get and poor people get what they get. It's no, the character of this guy says even in the it's not the beatific vision because Jesus hasn't opened the doors to heaven. But even in the afterlife where he sees reality for what it is, he still cannot see reality for what it is. He still cannot he see still past his own pride, pride and his and own concupiscence this, about how his yes. luxuriousness. I mean, you he go, should serve me. Right. He should be my slave and my servant. Abraham, I'm part of your family. Send him. And this, is, this gets us back to Amos. Okay. See, see, what happens is they're living luxuriously and drinking wine Absolutely from bowls. And right. what, what happens is that when you l- luxuria, the, the, yeah. this idea, um, St. Thomas in the Seven Deadly Sins doesn't actually have one that's called lust, in case okay. you're ever wondering. He calls it luxuria. Yeah, right. And it, yes, yes, yes. And yes, so yes. luxuria is just this sense of, of, of it's a blindness by concupiscence about how you actually experience the world. Blindness and, by, yes. And yeah, so yeah that's the, it. That's the, the full wrath of God which is Which doesn't not, change in death. No. And that's one of the most important aspects of right. the story. 
It doesn't. It doesn't just like oh, once you re- like once you see it for what it is, like well, of course I'll apologize now. Oh, I'm so sorry. What have I done? Wrath. Now it doesn't change. Wrath's opposite is mercy. Okay. Yes, that's important. Can I pull from that? Yeah. All right. So there's another piece to this. So this is what's going on, right? He's in Luxuria, which doesn't even leave him in the afterworld. But uh, he cries out, Father Abraham, of pity, send Lazarus as my servant. Um, Abraham replies, you had all that was good during your lifetime. Lazarus suffered, blah, blah, blah. Now, here's what Abraham says that is weird. Abraham needs needs to point out not only that Lazarus is comforted and he's suffering, but now there is a great chasm that prevents anyone crossing who might wish to go from our side side to to yours. Now, here's the question of that. It makes sense that someone might want to cross from the rich man's side over to, to right. heaven or whatever. Right. It doesn't make any sense that someone would want to cross the opposite direction. So why does Abraham actually phrase it in the wrong way? He says, no, there's actually a chasm that no one can go from our side to your side. Well, who on earth would want to go from their side to, la- to the rich man's side? Lazarus. Lazarus might. Because he has such a heart of mercy. Right. What Lazarus could not receive on earth, you you get the impression, I'm reading between the lines, right. that perhaps Lazarus, because we've already seen an insight into who he is with his patience and his gentleness and his quietness. Lazarus doesn't say a word throughout any of this. He right. doesn't stick it to the rich man. He doesn't accuse him. He doesn't say, look, you got what you deserved. Right. The only implication, the only inference we get is perhaps a desire of Lazarus to go and show the mercy to this rich man that he was never shown on earth. Which tells you, again, this isn't about rich and poor. It's about the characters of these two individuals. Right. And and the, the thing that I get worried about with wrath more than anything else is that wrath is just God letting us pursue what, what, we, what we've already chosen. It's letting us with, do what we want. Right. Do, yes. what, do what you want. You, you, that's you know how what? Paul de- literally defines it in and, Romans. And that's what's happening is that is that the rich man says, show mercy to these yes. to my brethren. And be, and like... and. And that's like, and he's saying like, no, no, they're going to experience the wrath, but there is going to be mercy. Okay. 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 Here's my, here's my last point on this. I this love last thing this, I have to say. I love this part. Okay. He says, okay, if you can't, if I, he can't come and help me out, then send him back to my brothers. How many brothers does he have? Seven. Nope. I don't know. He has five brothers. He says, I have five brothers back home. They need to be warned. And if there's five, if he has five brothers, how many brothers total are six. there? There's six. And in the biblical story, six is always a negative number. Unrest. No, not even quite unrest. Six always has to do, it goes back to the creation story, right? Whenever you see six, it tends to imply, because... What happens in creation on day six? Human beings are created and animals are created. So when you see the number six, it tends to imply either people acting like animals or people acting all for themselves as Mm. though God does not exist. There's an adage that said we were created on the sixth day for the seventh day, for the day of the covenant. Right. And so there happens to be six brothers, which says that it's an implication of acting either like animals animalistically or acting all about themselves. Right. But here's the the trick in the story. Okay. What do you think the rich man was called to do on earth? Is to act like an animal, like a dog licking the wounds? That's what he did. He did act like an animal. Like, well, the animals, animals act like humans and the humans act like animals? How should the rich man have interacted with Lazarus? Like the dogs. Like a brother. 
Oh, <laughs> licking his wounds. You're right. That, That's weird. That, but it's I see where you're, I see where you're going. No, no, no. Like he should have acted like a brother to be the seventh. And if he'd have acted like a brother to Lazarus, there would have been seven brothers, which actually gets you the covenantal number where Ooh. we're actually imitating God. So to Ooh. have taken Lazarus in Lazarus, Lazarus in as a brother would have actually made the rich man in covenant again to recognize his true identity and to be the person that he was actually made to be, not to be like an animal or not to be all about himself. That's the implication that is subtly embedded in this story. But what's, what's, what's wild though, is that you look and you say, there's also an implication of the redemption of all of creation. Absolutely right. Because the dogs are actually the ones who are participating in mercy. The dogs are more of a brother to Lazarus than the rich man is, which is like even create even these stones will cry out right. if no one else will. That's what I'm kind of hearing in this. Right, and then there's the last moment of just saying that Jesus then also fulfills the law and the prophets because yeah. even if one were to raise the dead, come so, back from the dead. So what it, it actually just says that the 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 scriptures are a whole. The whole of uh, of salvation history it has to actually be understood in light of what came before. Exactly right, dude. That's really beautiful. So. Go be a brother to people and don't just divide yourself like the 10 northern tribes from the southern two. And don't be like the prodigal and the master and the or the dishonest steward and the rich man and squander what you've been given. Right, like the 10 northern tribes. Right. Because because if you do, t- hard times are coming. Hard times are coming because you've... Yeah. Because you've made yourself into something that you are not. Boom. We are made for covenant. We are not made to be... Christian, be who you are. Be who you are. Word. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. God bless you. Go go say mass. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.